Hello, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur podcast, a show for property investors and developers who want to build and grow their own profitable businesses. I'm sharing with you my decades of property experience and interviewing many other successful property people who are happy to share their varied and priceless knowledge freely. Business doesn't need to be hard, and nor do you need to be lucky. But as a certified strategist, I know you need a plan to work to. And a good start is by listening to other people's successes and failures. Why reinvent the wheel? This allows us to have a more in-depth knowledge of the wider property world. Welcome to this week's Property Solopreneur. And thank you, all of you who sent me emails or texts about what they think about various episodes and even suggesting people that I might like to go and interview because they've got ideas about what I can ask them. And that's been a lot of fun. And I have had uh, some amazing people on my podcast and they have really hit a chord with some of you. Natasha Collins was one such. If she's episode 90 and she was investing in red telephone boxes, which was mind-blowing to some people. Now, to some, this sort of property investment and a red telephone box is a property investment sounds way out there, particularly for those of us who are well within the residential space. If that's you and you've been doing property for a while, I think you should start broadening your horizons. I think some people will be blown away by some of the things that Kirsty Darkins talks about. Now, the name may be familiar to you because she co-hosts Sky TV's Property Graduate, and she's a professional commercial investor, having had years of being a commercial surveyor under her belt before she started to work for herself. One of the things that really struck me was that she pointed out that if you're good at paperwork, really good at getting problems solved, getting the T's crossed, the I's dotted, asking the awkward questions, then this pathway may well be for you. I'm a believer in keeping one's mind open and it was fun to hear and learn something new. And I realised that a mixed portfolio, it's a wonderful buffer against problems because it's not just about commercial to resi. We all hear that. That almost seems to be the mantra, you know, commercial to resi. Well, Kirsty thinks that this may be a very long way round finding profit and success in property. She's often in and out of a project because don't forget that with commercial, you often have multi-titles within one building before the commercial to resi planning permission has even come back. So keeping your mind open, learning new things and being kept accountable, that's how I like to work with my clients because we all know how to do the stuff we do on a day-to-day basis. But sometimes actually what we need is someone looking into our company, shaking us out of our comfort zone, asking us the awkward questions and then holding our hands whilst we set targets to work towards. Because if you're working with someone, you often can set much bigger targets than you'd feel brave enough to do on your own. Well, perhaps this is you or you may need to have a brand new, fully fleshed out strategy to grow and scale your business. Well, if this is you, book a discovery call with me and let's see how I can work with you so that you can hit those targets and make it all happen. You can follow the show notes below for the links or go straight to my website, racheltroughton.com. And don't forget, I spell my name R-A-C-H-A-E-L and book a call with me there and let's see what you need to do to, in order to supercharge your property business. Part of the working with a mentor, as I say, is having new things pointed out with a big dollop of hand-holding being provided whilst you do them. I've always had a mentor myself. I wouldn't have done half the things in property had I not had one. To be honest, wouldn't have been brave enough. I would not have had the confidence just to go and do some of the things that I've done had I not had someone going, well, this is the worst that can happen. Now, 
talking of getting outside comfort zones, I got Kirsty to spill the beans a little bit about what it's like to work on a property TV programme. Sadly, it doesn't sound nearly as glamorous as it looks. Well, hello, Kirsty, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur. For those who haven't met you before, who are you and what do you do? Hi, Rachel. Thank you. Um, who am I? That's a big question, isn't it? I am professionally a commercial surveyor. I am a commercial investor and I also mentor other investors in investing in commercial property. Personally, I like to travel a lot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, yes, I mean, because that... You've touched on something that's very, very odd for most of us in property. A surveyor who invests. This is a really rare thing. Have you not put yourself off yet? <laughs> no, I've made myself unemployable, which means I have to carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and so what made you take the plunge from being a surveyor, which is a, a very all-consuming job, actually, isn't it? It's like all of the professions. They'll take as many hours as you'll give. Oh. ultimately, you know, and your clients are very demanding. And it's, it's you know, it's a great career, but it but it's all consuming. And that was the problem for me is I took a sabbatical in 2014. I gave myself 10 months off and I went traveling and I spent lots of time with friends and family and I got my health into a good place. And then I went back to work and I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I wanted freedom. I wanted flexibility. I wanted to be able to work remotely before it was a big thing. That's how I wanted to live. And I, I just knew that to do that, I had to do something very differently because I wasn't going to get that from my career. So that was my driving force was time freedom, ultimately. So, you, you know, coming from quite a structured career, were you one of these people that had a plan? I'm going to have this much put in the bank to pay this and do that? Or was it just one day you thought, no, this is it. I'm pulling the plug now. Were you, which were you, a planned or a um, Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a plan. I did have some cash in the bank because all I did was work. So I was earning all this money. I was on six figures. I was doing okay, but I never had any time to spend it because all I did was work and then feel exhausted when I wasn't working. So actually they did me a favor in that respect. So I, you know, and I, I don't, I don't have children. I don't have, I don't have a lot of responsibilities. So the money was piling up in the bank and I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not putting this cash to best, best use. Number one, number two, I don't have time to think about what else to do with it. And number three, I just don't want to do this anymore. So I did, I asked my employer for a pay rise and a different package and a different way of working that would make me feel valued and they declined. And so I handed my notice in on the 22nd of December, 2015 and felt very good about it. And I, it's still the right decision. You know, you can <laughs> hear that coming out in your voice. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's still the right decision. I can still remember handing it over and them going, where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. What do you mean you're not going anywhere? I, I mean, exactly that. I have no plan. I just can't do this anymore. Yes. Oh. You know, and that was kind of like, yes, I just need to do my own thing. So, And so yeah. having done that, what was your first deal that made you think, yep, I've done the right thing. This is what I've got to do. You know, frankly, along the lines of, I was made for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually went into serviced accommodation first. Right. Just because there was a lot of buzz around that time, 2015, 16. And it felt like an easy entry point and it's semi-commercial. So I kind of, I went into SA first to replace my income and I built up a portfolio of SA apartments and I replaced my income that way. I then went on a retreat to Monaco with a group of property investors that changed my life. Ah. It changed my mindset. 
I find as a professional, you're generally quite risk averse because you spend your entire life advising clients and protecting them from risk. And you also have this mindset that if you don't have the capital, then you can't invest. Yeah. So I didn't feel that I had enough capital to invest in commercial property. And this is a lot of what I help other people with now is, well, I don't need to have the capital. I can work with other people. There's lots of different funding strategies. And also as a surveyor, I'd worked at the very top end of the market. So I was working with multi-million, billion pound portfolios. And you believe that, well, how am I going to get into that? Well, you're not. You're going to start at the sub three million end of the portfolio. (laughs) The stuff you wouldn't have looked at with a barge pole before. Yes, absolutely. So it is a bit of a, it's a bit of an ego thing as well because you're going oh. hang on hang on but I but I work on prime shopping centers and prime logistics parks and prime office parks and and now I'm looking at some little high street retail and a and a, a little workshop unit and a, and it is it's a complete shift from where you've spent a lot of your career but once you've made that shift you're like why didn't I not do use my skills in this way before yeah. uh, but yeah. it takes it takes a while and often it's I mean everyone gives courses, retreats, learning a bad name, you know, because they just yeah, go, well, yeah. you've got to pay money for it. And you could work, you could have got on YouTube, you could have done this, you, you'd have done it. But it is about being put in a room or being constantly kept accountable or having new ideas fed to you that makes a difference. I mean, how quickly into that retreat did you think, hang on a second, this is so exciting. I've got to just, you know, start. Well, it was a seven-day retreat and then we spent three days having fun. And the people that I was there with who I'd never met before said, you are a different person to the person that walked in the door on day one. And I felt like a different person. Like I, My mindset totally changed. So my day, because we each had a day that focused on us, was day three. So day three is when it changed for me because they broke me effectively. They broke my mindset. They made me cry, not by being hard, but, uh, you know, they no, just, no. you know. So, you know, day three, a group of people mostly more experienced than me in investing, mostly older than me. It was just a great forum and they asked some very good questions. And I came out with a plan that was completely different to the plan I wrote before I went on the retreat. Yep. And then I just came away and implemented said plan. And uh, here I am. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is something that, you know, I do, I'm a certified strategist. And I spend a lot of time with property people who just blunder from one deal to yes. next. Uh, in the vain hope that they're going to get to somewhere that's going to sort them out, sort them out, and it is about going. No, 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 no. Spend the time on your business, make a plan, and then all you've got to do is take your plan and go. Does what I'm doing now fit into my plan? If not, no, I don't do it. If it does, yes, and you get there, don't you? Yes, you do. You do. You know, and it is. You've got to take action. That's the biggest thing. Talking about it, it will not get you where you want to go. You've got to have the right network do the right things and do them consistently. Absolutely. And so you started in service accommodation and then, you know, you've got all this this commercial knowledge. When did you fully swing into commercial and go, oh, this is my happy place? Well, it was that retreat. They said, what the hell are you doing? Why aren't you investing in commercial property? And everyone else there went, no, why aren't you investing? And I was going, that's a very good question. And I actually ended up partnering with one of the other investors there because one of my things was I was finding it very hard to do everything myself. Oh, yes. You know, you know, working on your own, investing is, you know, it's a lot of responsibility in it, investing and it, it's big decisions and it's, you can get in your own way very easily. So oh. I started working with a business partner 
I brought my professional knowledge of how to find the properties, how to add value to them, how to manage them. He brought the funding side of things, working with investors, setting up the funding. I worked through all the legal. So we, and that's what unlocked it for me was finding some support to plug some of my gaps. Yeah. And then, yeah, from, from there on in, we bought our first property in early 2019, which was a property that I actually bought from a developer I used to do work for in corporate off market. So I used my network uh, and it was just a small high street property in a good thriving high street, two shops on the ground floor, vacant offices on the first floor, a workshop to the rear with a six space car park, 12% return on purchase, bought it cash, 87,500, added value by renewing the two leases on the ground floor shops, letting the officers as officers, not converting it to resis, not a high capital value area in any way who wants to bother with all that, not me. (laughs) So uh, then it was a 19% return, you know, so we more than doubled the value of the property by adding that. And then I was off, I was in my sweet spot and I was like, right, let's do some more. And we did four more quickly and that, you know, and and then we've gone on. And that is the thing about commercial, isn't it? Because it is clusters. Yes. It's clusters and it, and it's not obvious. So every, you've just touched something there, which I find most interesting, which is, you know, most people are being told if you're going to do commercial, it's commercial for Rosie. Because yes. somehow if your property investing is going to have that residential element to it, it's, always, it's not real investment, is it? Well, you've just made <laughs> the point, you know, it was... It should really be, well, what are the numbers? What works fastest? What is, you know, what works? Well, I think, yeah, I think particularly in the economy and the market that we've been in for the last few years, through the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic, now the downturn and all the challenge around inflation and interest rates and, you know, and lending, it's been constant challenge for the last few years. So for me, personally, as an investor, I don't want to be tied in to long-term development projects right now because I don't feel there's enough certainty in the market for me to call that, for me to understand that my deal is absolutely stacked. And property is a long-term investment, but if you're trying to add value, you want to be in and out and you also want multiple exits. Yes. You know, and those are the important things. Now, finding commercial, you can be in and out much more quickly, particularly when you're doing the paper exercise asset management strategies that we do, rather than the development where you've got so many variables really. So I, I just find that it, it de-risks the investment. Absolutely. And so uh, one of the things that I, I found fascinating, because I'm not, you know, my commercials, I say, are, are yours, yours. What is a trading company that would want to kind of service that wants to lease first floors? Because for most of us who don't, have never come across this before, yeah, the concept, anything on the on the first floor on a high street, yeah, that's all a bit grubby and who would want it anyway? <laughs> but it's- uh, Well, firstly, you, you do have to make sure that you're investing in a location where first floor space is in demand because it isn't in demand in every high street. So yeah. no two high streets are the same, but there are many, many high streets where it is still in demand. And what's really helped is that in 2021, the planning use class order for commercial was changed, which means that previously you used to have separate planning permissions for shops, offices, professional services, healthcare. Now it's all under one use class, use class E. And that means that the first floor can be anything from an office to financial services, to a restaurant, to healthcare, to professional services, to beauty services. It can can be any of those things. So you've got such a broad tenant market that that's what helps make the space 
work as well. And interestingly, the office market is very interesting. The small office market, the number of businesses now looking for space is incredible. Really? Everyone is fed up from work, of working from home. Like everyone's going, I need to get back to an office. I need an office for my team. It's not working as all working from home. So not everyone, obviously there are businesses. But, make, yes. but the age, our local agents at the moment, we've got a property where we're just deciding what to develop it for. And you are demand led in commercial. So you don't, you don't look at a commercial property and go, that's what I'm going to do with it. You look at a commercial property knowing you can do something with it. And then you phone the agents and say, what is there the most demand for at the moment? What size um, of space? Who's looking for space? What shall I develop? And our local agents are telling us to develop office space for small businesses. That is fascinating on so many fronts because in some ways that de-risks and it takes the pressure off you as an investor to come up with all the ideas. You are using the professional knowledge of those around you. Oh, that is just so fascinating. <laughs> but what what you know, most of us think the high streets are in decline. Clearly, that's not actually what's happening out there. What makes a high street a good high street as opposed to a mm, or a don't touch? Good question. So, there are a lot of high streets that have oversupply of retail space because we've changed our shopping habits, we've changed the way that we live and the way that we work. And therefore, the high street has to evolve with that. But the high street's been evolving for my entire 25 years in commercial property. You know, like it, it's always been evolving. Like it, it's never died yet. And I can't really see it dying now. So there are definitely high streets that are in trouble and need significant investment. There are, however, a lot of high streets that are thriving and sustainable. And what makes it thriving and sustainable is that it's generally far enough away from a big town or city or set of retail parks to serve itself. So it has a big residential population surrounding it. It's easily accessible. So it's usually got a train station, easy access parking. Lots of free parking is really important because we human beings are very lazy these days. No, so, no jokes. <laughs> we've, we've forgotten we've got legs, haven't we? So it needs to have parking immediately outside or immediately behind or, you know, very easy parking, free preferably. Uh, and then it needs a good mix of uses. So you don't want to invest in a high street where every second shop is a charity shop or a vape shop. You want to invest in high streets that have all the different uses. So you have convenience and service-led retail, which is your convenience store, your pharmacy, your florist, your opticians, your hairdressers, all those uses. Some takeaways, some cafes, some restaurants, some professional services like solicitors, accountants, insurance brokers, and some healthcare, dentists, osteopaths, chiropractors, you know, you want that and some financial services in there as well. So if the banks are still there, even better. Yep. A mix of brands and independent tenants as well. So you want a few brands and then a good mix of independent tenants. And those are the best high streets to invest in. They're often market towns or they are suburban parades. So where we all go to get our fish and chips on a Friday night, for example, you know, those uh, yeah. parades. Yes, because they were built. Uh, you know, there are some very beautiful ones. I, I live near Norwich. And when the town planners went through there and they built the huge council estates, they did build very beautiful parades of shops that are absolutely exquisite. And they went through a bad time. And I drove through them the other day on my way to somewhere. And I thought, hang on a second, this has all been revamped. It's looking fabulous. And it was obviously absolutely stuffed full of people just shopping locally. Yeah, well, I think in the last three years, yes. there's been the High Street Incentives Fund and the government have pumped millions of pounds into local councils who have in turn chosen to use that to revitalise 
high streets um, and public realm spaces, which has also helped. That does, uh, absolutely. Now, one of the things you mentioned earlier is yield. Is there a different way you calculate yield to, as against us, you know, residential property, which is, you know, very set and easy to do? So we, we need to call it different. So there are effectively two yields in commercial property, and that's why it becomes confusing. So the yields that you call yield in residential, I call return in commercial to make this easier. So when I say yield, I'm not talking about return on investment. I'm talking about the capitalization rate that we use to capitalize the rent of a property to arrive at its capital value because commercial property has no bricks and mortar value. Yes. That's quite something to get your head around when you're new to property, isn't it? Um, it is. And it's one of the things that I spend the most time teaching. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Because it, it is, uh, you know, it's back to the mindset, isn't it? And that is when you write back at this conversation, you, you mentioned the fact that you went in and you changed the leases of those two things. That's what you're after, isn't it? The way to think about it is that the capitalization rate, the investment yield is a multiplier. Therefore, it's the other way around to how returns work, yields work in residential, which is why it blows your mind when you first start to think about it. Because the higher the investment yield, the lower the value of the property because it's a multiplier. So you're adjusting for risk. So if it's a really risky property with lots of vacancy and really short leases, you'll want to buy that for a really high return because you're taking on a lot of risk, which yeah. means you'll buy it at 12% return, for example. Yeah. If, however it's a really strong property once you've done the asset management and now you've got strong leases in place, it's all fully let, it's all fully cash flowing, then you're going to use eight or 9%. And because it's a multiplier, your value then shoots up. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's why it gets confusing with the yield thing in, in commercial. Because when we're talking about yield, we mean the investment yield, the capitalization rate. We don't mean the return that we get on investment. Yeah. And that's what becomes quickly confusing if you, oh, if you don't. Yeah, that, that's been brilliantly explained. So that'll clear a lot up for some people who, who just don't get their heads around that at all. I mean, we get that. There is a slight tie over, of course, when people are talking about commercial rates, HMOs and how that works. And that's when they can, it can all go horribly wrong because suddenly you've got a building that just doesn't stack properly. But is it possible to flip commercial property? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that has been my main strategy since covid Really? So um, when COVID happened in March 2020, our strategy was to hold and refinance. But there was no commercial lending for about 18 months during COVID. So that could no longer be our strategy. So we pivoted to building our own bank by doing commercial flips. So just as, and you can do that through development or asset management. So what we do is we take property and we either repurpose it by splitting it up into smaller commercial units and letting it or we do asset management so we buy something already tenanted cash flowing but with short leases rent reviews maybe some vacant space we deal with all of that and then we flip it when it's at its highest value so yeah you can absolutely do flips and that's what a lot of my clients are doing now is they are investing for immediate income so you're not buying a vacant property and not making a, an immediate return. You're buying a property that's already cash flowing, yep. returning from day one, adding some value and then flipping it on and taking the capital uplift because refinance is not really an option right now either because the interest rates are so high. Absolutely. Now, SAS pension money, is that something that you get involved in because it's cool, 
you know, works for commercial, doesn't it? I certainly do. So around 40% of my clients are SaaS pension investors. Um, uh-huh. And I also work with SaaS pension investors who invest into my into my investments and, and developments as well. So it works on two levels. And what I find is that I come across lots of SaaS pension trustees who are trying to do very complicated things that SaaSers aren't meant for, oh. you know, by trying to loan out of their pensions and do lots of residential investment. And, and I say, oh, why aren't you just investing in commercial property, which is allowable within your SaaS, requires no hurdles, no difficult title splitting, nothing. Yep. And they go, because I don't know how to do it. Or, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to find it. I don't know how to do it. I don't understand it. So yeah, I, I do work with a lot of the SaaS community. And is that, do you, you've touched on the, on the knowing, is that because the whole learning on the commercial side is quite quiet compared to the vast mm. array of learning that you can find about doing residential property? Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, there is just, um, I mean, any the information is just not readily available the way it is for doing residential due diligence. Commercial is quite a closed market. It's all about having your agent contacts and your professional network and you do need to develop that. Um, And and I guess, yeah, the education is is similar because there are fewer private investors at our end of the market, the sub three million end of the market, investing in commercial property. So then there are fewer people teaching it. Yeah. And it and it just it is quite niche. It's still it's still quite niche but it's a it's a nice niche to get into if it works for you because there's less competition generally the returns are higher because your gross rent is your net rent because commercial tenants pay for everything yep um, which I like a lot um, and they also manage the property they're responsible for everything so I have a very quiet life so if you're trying to build time freedom yep there's lots of ways to replace your income but commercial property is a great way of developing time freedom through investing as well. Perfect. Now, I one of the things that I was asked about when I said I was going to uh, interview, somebody said, can you, can you ask her, is it possible for one of your businesses to rent off another business? And how, you know, because that it struck my client, this would be an absolutely amazing thing to do. Well, I actually do that, but, you know, it never occurred to me that you couldn't. So obviously some people have an idea that this is not possible, but surely that's something you see all the time. Yeah, I do it myself as well. So it's absolutely possible. And it's a very smart way um, to work with your own businesses, you know. So we have just um, developed our own offices and warehouse. We've developed three other units, which we're letting to other businesses. But we will be letting from our property company, which owns the building, we'll be creating 10-year leases to my commercial property consultancy and my business partner's construction company. Uh, and yeah, it's absolutely the you know it, it's perfectly legal. It's it, it's a standard thing to do. It's a very it's a very shrewd thing to do if you're in the place where you have a business separate to your property business, which requires space to yeah. work from, um, because then you are paying rent as a as a valid expense from your business, but that rent is going into your property. <laughs> The property company. It's going in a nice little circle, isn't it? Yeah. And then actually you're also adding a lot of value to your property because you're going to write a nice strong 10-year lease for yourself, which adds a lot of value because the longer the lease and the stronger the tenant, the higher the value of a commercial property. So that that's absolutely fascinating, which again goes ahead, against a lot of people who just go, got to, I've got to reduce my expenses, got to 
knuckle everything down. Whereas sometimes you've got to just take a, a bigger picture view, a longer term view and go, what's best for the whole business? Um, yeah. And, you know, so, so the other thing that um, I found fascinating was an expression I heard you use, which is developed white space standard. Earth is white space standard. <laughs> it doesn't mean white walls. Yeah, we, we call it white boxing, really. So we what, what a tenant wants, particularly the smaller businesses, the independent tenants, they want a property to be ready to move into. But ready to move into in commercial is very different to ready to move into in residential. Less is more. Oh. And we spend a lot of time advising our clients to do less and spend less. Ooh. So your specification in commercial is very low. All you need to do is provide freshly plastered walls, painted white, commercial grade flooring, but it doesn't need to be super, surface level electrics with a few sockets, but they're going to change how they use the space anyway. So you want them to be able to key into the electrics easily and two panel heaters if it's retail, no heating if it's uh, industrial and a toilet, nothing else. Do not do anything else because commercial tenants will come in and they will pay to fit out the unit to work for their own business and they will rip out most of what you've done. Wow. So that, again, is very counterintuitive, isn't it? It, it gives um, <laughs> a lot of investors are going, I can't do that. What about a kitchen? no. Don't put the kitchen in because how do you know where they want it? How do you know how they're going to use the space? Yeah. That's up to that. You don't know who your tenant's going to be. You don't know how they're going to use the space. So you start putting things in, they're going to rip it straight back out. Waste of money, waste of time. Yes. Um, so it is very, uh, ceilings, we don't do anything with ceilings in shops, offices, industrial, we leave them as they are. Floors, we don't do anything with floors in industrial. We let the tenants come in and decide what they want to do. You know, yep. it's, it, it really is much lower cost, much less work to do. And then with your tenants, you agree rent-free to cover some things that they might need to do. They might ask you to do some works as a landlord, but they will pay if it's over and above the specification you've set out. So it is, it's, it's completely different. It is, isn't it? I mean, this, this is so exciting. It's like reading a new book. <laughs> Um, I, I have some inkling of it because we've got a chicken shed. So this sounds rather weird. A chicken shed on one of our sites, which is being converted into a showroom for a bridal company who do all the stage setting, basically. And it for the last 50 years, it's been a low building covered in brown concrete and speckles and some really rather nasty windows. And I went past it the other day and it's got perspex, and it's got bright colours and it's been clad. And it's, you know, where the big air vents used to be with the so that the chickens could breathe. Well, those are now amazing light tubes. And you just go, I didn't know, it literally it was just written into the lease that they were going to convert it. Yeah. And, you know, what, what, I have to say, it's, it's gorgeous to see. And I'm thinking, and I didn't spend a penny on that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, deep, deep, deep. hang on you can't expect tenants to do tenants commercial tenants expect to have to pay for their own fit out and they would rather be in control of yes. their own fit out this is their they they know how they want to use the space so even with offices when we develop offices we just leave it as one big space we don't put stud walls in and try to guess they can do what that. size offices they want or what now if they want us to put stub walls in once we've agreed the lease we will do that work for them but they will pay for it oh fabulous yep so win-win really isn't it now but one of the reasons i think perhaps people are a bit wary of of commercial is the horror stories that came out during covid 
And I remember sitting with a particularly big commercial friend of mine who, who just said, well, I'm terribly safe. I've got the big names in all my commercials. Wow, yes. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. yes. <laughs> I've got well. the Starbucks, the Costas, you know, all that kind of thing. How do you prevent a, an unknown crisis causing you a problem in that sort of direction? Do you need a mix of tenants? So that's exactly the answer. You need a mix. Don't, all, don't be all in with any one industry of tenants or any type of tenant. So I was quite lucky because I actually prefer the smaller businesses as tenants. Um, I only had one branded tenant in my portfolio when COVID happened. I had 16 small businesses. I didn't lose any of them. And I had not one penny of rent arrears the entire time. Wow, that's fantastic. COVID. So if you invest in the right type of tenants, you will protect yourself. So it's part of your due diligence is digging into the tenant's company history and the profit and loss and the balance sheet and who the directors are and what else do they do and what, you know, you need to know your tenants. Uh, but you do need to also invest to mitigate risk, which means mixing your uses. So if you were, you know, brands used to be a great strategy for adding capital value and they still are, but they play hardball and they will use anything that they can. So I used to head up the estate management team at Boots in-house. So I know exactly what they do because I was them for yes. five years. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, you, you use it, you know, the answer is, well, wear boots. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, and you just go, well, it says, yeah, I don't care what it says. I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. Oh, you know, so they, they, neg- they pay less rent. They do add a lot of value because their covenant strength, their financial strength is so good. But they play hardball. They dictate really what the lease terms are. They pay less rent. And during COVID, because the government, very unhelpfully for us, issued a moratorium on rent recovery action or evictions for 12 months, yes. they used it because they could. So they just stopped paying rent because there was nothing landlords could do about it. Whereas the small tenants got a lot of support from the government in the form of grants. And landlords like me were on the phone to our tenants going, I'm a small business too. We need to work together. Yes. And that's, that's what we did. You know? So yes, that was always the worry, wasn't it? And certainly at the beginning of COVID, I remember everyone going, oh, anyone who's got independence has got a real problem. And of course, once we'd been through it and we heard the stories, you realise that people who invest in their own businesses did not want to lose everything. They, were, yeah. they knew that good times would come again. And so they were prepared to hold it out. It's also about having the uses that didn't close. So I had a number of convenience stores, takeaways, you know, uses that remained open the entire time. Yes, because not everything did shut. No. And so that's the other thing is, you, you know, to mitigate that risk, it's about having that diversity in your tenant mix. So don't don't be all in on one. And also then I've got, uh, I've also got construction companies as tenants in some of our industrial. They didn't stop work. No, they, they don't. Actually, I, we've never been so busy. <laughs> yeah. So you need to protect yourself by having a diverse tenant mix. That, that's how to COVID-proof your commercial portfolio. So what I'm hearing really from you about commercial is that there's a lot of brain power here. It's a lot of paperwork with you understanding what's going on. It's not just about being able to float in and go, yeah, this is going to happen and a few scatter cushions. And as long as I've got a bright orange wall, it's all going to work. It is, it is, it is a paper exercise underneath it all, even though, you know, you've got to know what you're doing. That's absolutely fascinating. Now, I know you've just said about 
protecting yourself and, and diversifying. They do have another side, don't you? And that is the Sky's grad, property graduate. How <laughs> yes. did you get involved in that? What, you know, for someone who doesn't have Sky, what is it? And I know that I've got friends who've appeared on it. Is it as much fun for all of you as it is for them? The oh, yeah, ready. absolutely. I mean, I, I'd say it's probably more fun for the judges, actually, because we get the easy job. We just ask questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know Fiona Talbot well, who was my one of my fellow judges, and she suggested that John Howard, um, who owns the show and runs it, um, contact me and ask if I want to be involved. And I thought, well, actually, that sounds like something different and quite fun. And the, you know, uh, what it is, is an opportunity for investors to get a million pound development funded in a joint venture with John Howard, who, you know, is an investor with decades of experience. Um, well, and then myself and Fiona Talbot are there as John's advisors to help him decide which of the contestants he should choose to work with. And that's how it works. So yeah, they go through an interview, they go through an exercise of analyzing a development and Boy, was that interesting. <laughs> yeah. So presumably you do see some going, how, how, did you, how did you get here? You know, this is deeply worrying from a point of view. And that others, well, one of my friends did when I think on one, one series, and you just go, this is someone I can invest in in future and you're going to be flying. And they do really, really fun, interesting things. It, that must be a joy to watch. Yeah, but it, was, it was a very interesting thing to do. Some people just aren't quite ready. You know, uh -huh. you're like, you will be ready, but you're not ready. You need to go away and gain more experience, learn this, do this. Some people are ready, but don't perform that well under pressure. And so you have to try and read between the lines and ask them some good questions. And But yeah, it was interesting and a real mix of projects. So we gave them everything from new build houses to mixed use to pure commercial asset management deals to analyze. So there was a very wide range of deals that we asked them to get involved in. And so I brought the commercial expertise as well and the commercial line of questioning for the contestants, whereas John focused on development. Fiona does do commercial, but has much more of a residential background. So she she focused on that. I focused on commercial. And and I think this is it's a good, it's a, a shame that it is on Sky and it doesn't come on mainstream because it is broadening everyone's horizons. It is, and the subject is truly fascinating. I, I, you know, John came and spoke at the Norwich Property Meet last year and, you know, had us all going, oh, wow, because, you know, we all focus on our own little, particularly in, up here in Norfolk, we are somewhat cut off from the rest of the world. But, you know, what, what sort of do, is there a sort of way you have to behave on television? You know, for, we're all intrigued when we see these people are going, are they like that in real life? Or is this, do they have to behave in a different way? Do spill like, the beans. Just be yourself. Well, that's what I did. And I don't really know how to be any other way. So um, <laughs> the, the only thing I have to do is sit on my hands because I am a hand talker. So I'm yeah. doing it now. I'm holding my hands. Yeah, under the pair, table. A pair of us start knitting basically with our fingers, aren't we? Yeah, but that does, that, that's not good on TV. It makes people dizzy. And so I had to manage my hands. That's the only thing I had to do differently. So apart from that, I was just myself. You have to sit in a very specific position. <laughs> For the cameras and the lights and everything. And you have to get used to having so much light in your face. It, it's just, it's incredible. But to be honest, you just, um, it's nowhere near as glamorous as people might think it is. It's, you know, oh, you're, in, you're in a studio. It's quite hard work. It's quite intense. You know, you work hard. You have to keep making sure your face isn't shiny. <laughs> you know, all of those, all of those things. 
<laughs> and, and then, yeah, they make you do some, um, you feel ridiculous, you know, they're like, well, I need to do some slow motion shots and I need you to walk like this. And then I need you to do this. And I need you. And I'm like, you do? Okay. <laughs> um, it was fun, but it, it's, um, yeah, it's quite, it, it's harder work than people might think yeah. it is actually, because you have to do takes until you get it right. So sometimes you might have to say the same thing six times. <laughs> oh my word. Yeah, it's exhausting. But the, I just think programs like that have so much to offer people to who are in property because it does broaden the mind. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's a good, it's a great opportunity for people as well. I mean, he'll be doing it again next year. Yes. You know, and I think it's just a, it's a great way to acquire a mentor as well, you know, so you get the funding for the project, but you also get mentored by, by John through a project. And for most people, it's a real step up from where they are now. Yes. Uh, because, and I think sometimes uh, mentoring is really important because quite often people don't realize they are ready for the next step. Yeah. And it is about prodding people out of their comfort zone. Well, a lot of it's about confidence. So a lot of my mentees work with me because they want two things. They want confidence and they want accountability. Yeah. So they don't want to make mistakes. They're w most worried about making a big mistake. So they want the confidence to move forward with what they know or what they now know. But they also want to be held accountable. So I spend a lot of my time saying, why are you looking at this investment? Because it's not what you said you wanted. <laughs> you know, and then they go, well, what do you mean? I say, well, you said you want to be hands off and you don't want to be involved in, you don't want it to take 12 months and you don't want to be. So you've gone back to your comfort zone. You found a development project. We yeah. agreed you were going to focus on asset management strategies. So why have you brought this to me? And they go, that is a very good question. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I spent half my time just reminding people what they told me they wanted. Yes. yes. You know, and, and trying to hold them to it and, and just ask some good questions, really. Yes. And I think because I, 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 that's what I do with my mentees is that it is often about reminding them what they've said to you, which is what they've decided they're going to do because that's the agreement and getting them to, rem to remember to shut down the noisy people who don't know what they're doing, who are trying to influence them. So I, I had someone who, who texted me the other day and said, thank you very much for just saying to me constantly, it's the money in the bank. Where's the money in the bank? Because everyone, you know, because she kept going, but I could do this with it and I could do that with it. And I was going, I know where you are. And you have said, you came to me going, I need to get that amount of money in my bank by this amount of time or life is going to be difficult. Um, that's your first focus. You can do whatever you like after you've done that, but you know, focus first of all. So it's interesting that, this is possibly what most people need when they are learning to do things. It's not so much watch what I do, but let me help you do what you need to do. It's just, yeah, I think it's, it's supporting people. So initially oh. they need you to give them the knowledge and the tools. Yeah. But once they've got that, the implementation is the hardest part. Yeah. Because we can all learn, but implementing it and taking the action is, is, is the hardest thing for any of us to do, you know, and I pay, I have for the last six years, I've had a mentor and a business coach yeah. and I invest every year in myself in that way. And I wouldn't be where I am or doing what I'm doing without that investment and that support. That's, yeah. that's a fact. And so I just try to be that for people who are investing in commercial property for the first time. Yes. Because I, I've, I so totally agree with you in that. I'm always amazed by people who go, but you've been doing property for 25 years. Why do you have 
mentors and, and business people, and I go, because things change. Yeah, Things change. Uh, I can't keep my eye over the whole thing. What I'm doing is changing. You know, I, I have a fleet of two up, two downs in Stoke-on-Trent, and suddenly I'm doing 14 ex-agricultural businesses. Um, they're, they're slightly different, you know. <laughs> Just slightly, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, therefore, you've got to tap into people who have niches and skills that you haven't to learn from them. And then if you do that, basically... Well, you know, sky's the limit, isn't it? You can really get going. Well, exactly. I mean, my mentors are business mentors these days because I, I, I don't need mentoring on commercial property. No, that's absolutely not what I need. But I, I haven't scaled businesses in a previous life. So I need business mentors and coaches and that, that's what I have. And find the one that works for you at the moment. It doesn't have to be the person who's flavor of the month everywhere. Now, yep. you know, I think one of the reasons I was very keen to get you on today was that Women in commercial are too quiet. <laughs> I think perhaps it's because you're all out there doing. Well, I am doing, but I'm also, I made the decision as soon as I started my own business that I always wanted it to be a lifestyle business. So I will never be a major training company. I will never be everywhere and all things to all people because that isn't what I want for myself and my business. So I am niche. I work with around 100 clients a year, you know, and, and so, yeah, I have a much bigger profile than I had five years ago. But I only have so much reach because I, I don't I don't want to become more than a lifestyle business because that's what it's all about for me. So I tend to attract similar minded clients, really. Yeah. Well, I, I, that that's that that again is just a nectar to some people because there is this belief you've all got to be the biggest and the best, and 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 actually, it's what how big does it need to be? Make it to the side and then let it run. I'm interested in being the best in my niche. I'm not interested in being the biggest anything. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm interested in, I like, I, I have a level that's enough. Yes. That, that's enough income because what's really important to me is freeing my time. And so that's why I'm, I don't want to grow beyond a certain point because I then, then it takes my time. And I want my time to be free. Well, that's a wonderful way to end because I think time freedom is why so many people start working for themselves. It takes a bit of time to get to there, but absolutely. It does. <laughs> thank you so much, Kirsty, for sparing the time today. Oh, no, thank you. It's been brilliant. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to The Property Solopreneur with me, Rachel Troughton. If you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe and kindly leave a review and share this podcast with anyone you think it would help on their property journey. If you'd like to get hold of my guide for building a successful property business, go to racheltroughton.com forward slash checklist. We only live one life. So let's get your dream a reality through building a profitable property business.